James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not look, sorry, but does not do what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the, word, by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, it's lovely to see all of you tonight, uh, those here and those at home. Uh, my opening question is this. Have you checked yourself in the mirror recently? And if so, uh, what did you see? Uh, how many ears did you have last time you checked? And how many eyes uh, did you have last time you checked? And how many mouths uh, did you have uh, last time you checked? If you had to summarize this passage in James, you could simply say, uh, do the maths, two eyes, two ears, one mouth, uh, use them accordingly. Uh, most of us, our mouth seems to lead the way and forget that it's outnumbered four to one, and our mouth also seems to have anger management issues. James says, first of all, that we should be quick to listen. Now, we have a welcome emphasis in our culture that we should celebrate on the importance of the very simple discipline of listening to other people. And we've probably seen that in greater detail and clarity over the last year. Just the importance of simply being alert to other people and being willing to give them our undivided attention. And we know, too, how powerful an experience it is for us if we have somebody that we know is taking us seriously and giving us their full attention. There's nothing worse, is there, than talking to somebody and you're trying to begin to pour out what you're feeling and you know they're looking over your shoulder and they're trying to see someone else that they want to talk to. We know this. And so we completely get James saying that we should be quick to listen. It may not come entirely naturally to us, but at least we understand um, that this is important. Next one is harder. He says, be quick to listen, but be slow to speak. That's a bit harder uh, for some of us. Uh, I think it suggests that as Christians, we should exhibit a carefulness 
a self-control in our speech, a willingness to weigh the impact of our words uh, before we speak. Now, I am not, in any sense of the word, a horsey person. Uh, but if you noticed uh, in the passage that we had read for us, uh, right at the end, uh, there's an image which I think must be a horsey image. It's about keeping a tight rein on our tongues, on what we say. Basically, the last time I rode a horse was with my two brothers when we were about 11, 9, and 7. We went horse riding on Dartmoor, and uh, I think it was pretty much our first time on horse for any of us. My, brother's, my brother Jem's horse went past the open gate of a field and did that thing that horses do, I don't really understand them, where it, I think it just smelt freedom and a chance to go for a lovely little gallop and a frisk in the field. So it took off like thunder and lightning across the field. My other two brothers and I, our horses sort of follow, but not quite at such a gallop. Jem, my middle brother, who was on the lead horse, fell off the horse half across the field, but his foot got stuck in the stirrup, and so we watched him bouncing along the field like this all the way to the other end where that horse uh, ran out of space. And so I've, I've never been a massive horse fan uh, <laughs> since then, uh, but it, it, you know, it's a kind of, in my mind, there it sits as a, you know, what it requires to keep a tight rein on something that has immense power, uh, both for good and uh, for evil. And uh, park that thought, because we're going to come right back to it uh, in chapter 3 in James in a few weeks' time. But the most important thing that James wants to say under this quick, slow, slow thing, so quick to listen, slow to speak, then he slows right down again in saying that we should be slow to become angry. And it seems to be James's focus at the start of our passage because he gives us an explanatory sentence uh, to explain just what he means. So he says, be slow to become angry. Why? Because in his words, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God uh, requires and desires. And I just want to unpack that a bit in the rest of our time uh, tonight. Looking back on my own life, I realized that in my, own, my early years, I was angry a lot of the time. And that was driven mostly by a fierce desire to be a winner. And I was massively competitive. And so for me to lose at anything was a complete disaster and made me absolutely furious. And so I spent a lot of my childhood angry. Uh, I had other things to be angry about, but losing and not winning was definitely uh, one of them. And it made me furious. I've since uh, realized, thanks to the grace of God, that I need to question and filter out that anger. I've also realized that there are now, for me, other emotions that has taken anger's place, uh, anxiety and fear. And I hope, too, uh, some of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But I've had to weigh these words in James's letter very carefully because he says, be slow to become angry. And that has really landed with me as someone who, as a younger man, uh, found I could get angry very, very quickly. I don't have to tell you that anger is a volatile, 
but also a potentially misleading emotion. Now think back to the last time you were properly angry uh, about something. Uh, I talked to somebody after the 9 o'clock service this morning, and they were still incensed uh, by that VAR decision uh, yesterday afternoon. I, met, I talked to someone at the 11 o'clock service who was still incensed by a, a VAR decision two years ago. Uh, so there you go. But wh when you're angry, think back to the last time you're properly angry. When you're angry, you feel like you see everything really clearly because uh, your brain is shutting down a lot of other emotion and a lot of other thought. So you feel very focused. So it's easy to convince yourself that you are seeing things with 2020 uh, precision. What's more, it feels like you are justified. You are right to think what you think and feel what you feel. And often it feels too that you're right to want to take the action about your anger that you're proposing to take. So anger is this powerful emotion in that it focuses our energy and it makes us feel as though we are right. But of course, that is not necessarily so. Wouldn't it be fascinating if we took the time tonight to spend one minute each at the lectern here and just to tell one story of how the unbridled, unreserved, violent expression of anger, whether we did it or somebody else did it to us, has ruined relationships and destroyed lives. I bet you every single person here could tell a story to illustrate it. James says we need to pray for slow and righteous anger. And for me, that means that we have to filter our anger. We have to check it out. We have to examine it. We have to hold it up to the light and see how it looks in the light of God's love and the things that we know are important to God. But you should be angry. Please do not hear this passage or what I'm saying as saying that anger has no place in a Christian's soul. It does. We should be angry. But we should be angry about the things that break God's heart. And James is out to help us see what that means. And he starts uncomfortably for all of us. And he says the first thing that we should be angry about is our own sin and the failings of our own hearts. Now that is a much better starting point, I would suggest, than our anger at starting with the failings of other people. But I bet you when you were thinking back to what's made you angry recently, it was quite likely something that somebody said or did to you, maybe someone close to you. And our anger is easily kindled by the failings and the faults of others, and we find it just as easy to overlook our own. But I think James would argue that word and spirit reveal what he would call our moral filth and evil. Now, in a church, there should be no pretending. There should be no hiding. There should be no parading our successes. Word and spirit, in my experience, come to liberate us by revealing how selfish and how vain and how weak we are. Word and Spirit come together to show us how our words and our silences 
betray other people. And God's purpose in doing this is not to entangle us in self-hatred, but it's to beckon us to freedom. We don't look back to the cross to hate on ourselves, but we look back on the cross to know that there is somewhere where I can leave my junk and my rubbish and my failings and my failures. That is the reason we look back to the cross. We follow a man who was violently put to death, though innocent. We follow this man, Jesus, who didn't kill, who didn't reach for his sword, who when he could have been overwhelmed with anger for the people that were most bitterly abusing them, instead spoke words of love and forgiveness. Friends, God has started something beautiful in you. He's planted a seed of his kingdom in you. So your job is to give it room to grow and to clear away some of the undergrowth and the weeds that threaten to choke his word planted in you. And James describes how, as Christians, we receive God's word in humility and then we weep at our own two-faced hypocrisy. And that is where our anger should begin. Anger that we can so hate and let down God. Anger that we can be so ineffective in showing his love, so wrapped up and absorbed in our own ambitions. But there's more than that. James knows that words are cheap, including angry and religious words, words that condemn, words that sneer at others. I do not have to tell you that our media is awash with anger. You know, you see it in caps locks, don't you? In every single sphere of our life. People who are angry. And yet I suspect that so much of it is fake. And I think I've discovered that anger without Jesus leads simply to a desire to punish and humiliate uh, the people that you are annoyed by or that you don't agree with. And so much of the anger we see uh, portrayed on social media, uh, the purpose of it is to exile people it's to expose people, but it never gives anybody a way back. And it never gives anybody forgiveness, and it never gives anybody redemption. It is a destructive anger that we see in our culture. We are called to be angry Christians, but it has to be a very particular kind of anger. It's absolutely brilliant that we are angry at climate catastrophe, at global injustice, at our seeming tolerance of poverty in a world of plenty. It's absolutely right that we are angry as Christians about these things. But our call 
is to get angry alongside God and to get angry slowly and to let the Holy Spirit filter out our own ego and our own prejudice. And so many of us find that so hard. But then we don't stop there. What we then need to do is let God direct us into compassion. And that's where James ends the chapter. He says, yeah, get angry slowly, absolutely right, but let that anger lead you into compassion. Let it lead you into urgent, practical steps that will overturn injustice and will provide loving and lasting relationships to the people who've been forgotten or isolated. Then your anger can achieve something beautiful for God, something expressed in love for the vulnerable and the overlooked, expressed in forgiveness for those who have riled or upset you, expressed in new beginnings for the people that you violently and completely disagree with. Your slow, righteous anger can achieve something beautiful for God, and yet so, for so many of us, what does our anger do? It does one of two things. It either raises your blood pressure or it just allows you to flaunt uh, your socially acceptable prejudice and to appear to the world as someone who's angry about the right things. James is great because he always makes it real. Are you angry? Awesome. But if you're angry about poverty and you're not involved in the lives of the poor, then quite frankly, God is not interested. It's just a waste of breath and a waste of space. And so, being slow to become angry, guided by word, guided by spirit, makes it far more likely that you will be angry about the right things and that you'll be angry in the right way and that righteous and good and beautiful things will flow out of your anger. Amen.